All right, Aaron Cheek. Dr. Aaron Cheek, you are a scholar of comparative religion, philosophy, and esotericism, and the former president of the International Gene Gaps Society. Welcome to the Parallax podcast. Thank you for having me. From Auckland. You told me twice now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, coming from Auckland, so technically in the future. Right. How long, uh, in, how long were you uh, president of the Gigapsa Society? Uh, well, at that point, it was a two-year uh, role. So traditionally, the president of the Gigapsa Society uh, would take that role for two years All and right. then hand it over to someone new. So, um, yeah, I had it for two years. All right. Where's that base, that, uh, that, that organization? Uh, it's largely American. Um, it doesn't really have an official uh, like city home base, but uh, and even though it's the International Jean Gabsa Society, it largely functions in America. So. <laughs> but they did. Yep. They have had conference. Well, the very first conference that I attended um, of, of that Gabsa Society was in Melbourne in Australia. Oh, so. right. They have at least had some international uh, movement. So is it comparable to, you know, the, the European integral organization, you know, or the integral forum, like from its structure? Or is it like, is it, you know? Uh, what is it's it more, it's, it's a little bit loose, a little bit more loose and informal. Right. Um, although usually we have a, a conference every year and that's our more formal coming together and we'll present papers and so forth. But the Gebs, the, the Gebs, um, the society has always been kind of more like a family, you know, it's, <clears throat> we have our formal academic dimension, right. which is important, but it's really kind of a community of people who are, inspired by Gebs's ideas. So it's also like not Wilbur-centric, as you said, it's, it's more interested in a different kind of states of consciousness. Right, exactly. Um, because I mean, it is focused on Gebs. And, but we, you know, with Gebs, you, you bring in people interested in consciousness in general. And of course, Wilbur is in the ambit of that. But Generally speaking, people who come to Gebza uh, find once 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 they come to Gebza that they they are less interested in Wilbur. Right. Like they might come to Gebza through Wilbur, oddly enough, but uh, usually once they get to Gebza, they they feel that they've found bedrock. You know, people would rather read uh, Gebza or Abindo, people like that. I mean, Wilbur was influenced major, uh, majorly through, through Jan Gebser, wasn't he? Yeah, these are these are Wilbur's sources, you know, and he's he doesn't hide this. He 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 references his sources, you know. He, he cites Wilbur and Aurobindo and even Plotinus and uh, you know Vedantic kind of traditions. But um, there's something, you know, there's something different about the integral idea when you approach it through Gebza versus Wilbur. So you know, in, in what way is that? 
Well, with Wilbur, it's very much, it feels very much like a map that explains everything, right? It feels like, uh, it feels very mental rational, even though it's, it's, it, it, it's map uh, is bigger than that. It still feels like it's locked in the mental rational world because it's trying to explain everything in a mental rational way. Uh, and with Gebza, there is much more mystery. You know, there's a sense of depth, and um, like you don't know everything. It's not a it's not a theory of everything. You know, it, it opens you to the richness of the magical and mythic world uh, in a way that you can bring it into, into the present. And really, you know, one, one difference with, with Gebser is the whole idea of origin as being ever-present, which was the title of his, his major work. So, Orspruggen Gegenwart, you know, or in, or in English, the ever-present origin. Before we, um, before we get to that, Aaron, uh, let me just in, uh, interject that, you know, I, I'm really thinking about, you know, the last weeks about um, opacity and something being opaque, you know, and I think that's what you're referring to, because, you know, when you're dealing with everyday experience, especially like different layers and areas of consciousness, you know, so much of it seems opaque. You know, it's like it is if you know half of all the things are known and the other half is not known, and that's the interesting thing. You know, and that's exactly. somewhat uh, is being lost when you just have a mental model of quadrants and the world, but you don't know why you fall in love and you know why the big melancholy, you know, the sadness of the universe descends upon you, or yeah. or why there are certain forms or gestalten or or, or archetypes that you know running through your life it's it's all very opaque exactly um there is you know i i frequently go back to taoism is is a way of explaining this you know it's yin and yang it's it's darkness and light it is what is unconscious and conscious and they are the two major halves of of the whole of the integral And uh, I mean, this is a mythic formulation of the whole, you know, because it has this bipolar uh, nature, but it, it, you know, I think it's really important. And I tried to stress this in my article for the Acronon magazine, but, you know, this comes to the idea of free will, you know, and mental rational consciousness. Um, and Gebser characterized this as the diurnal or, or like the daylight consciousness you know, the waking consciousness, which is um, complemented by, and doesn't exist without the nocturnal, um, you know, the nocturnal realms of consciousness. And this, this really, this idea goes back to um, the Upanishads and the idea of Turiya, the, the, the fourth, the so-called fourth base, you know, the, the, the fundamental base of all consciousness, which under, underlies, underpins uh, sleep, dreaming, and waking. You know, these are these are just layers that kind of emerge out of this fundamental basis. So, to to open some drawers, would you would you put Turiya and origin and non-duality all in one 
draw or, or I, I would I think I would place them pretty close together right yeah, yeah. but it, the only thing that the important qualification is that origin and and really all of these things are ever present they're not they're not in the past you know we talk about them being a basis or root but um and that that seems to suggest like that they're at a place that is not present now that you know that they're they're somewhere in the past or at, or at the at the root of of where we are but the idea is that that origin that that fundamental non-duality is is ever present here and now uh, it, it's kind of the ambience in which all other things um, come to be is that the, would that be the major difference i mean in, in respect to wilbur and say the integral stage you know which is very clearly defined of what it is you know but i think gaps uh, approaches a similar st stage right but describe mm -hmm. it differently and, and is that the major difference that he integrates you know the origin uh, in, in the yeah. ever present now or, or <clears throat> yeah. in that stage yeah no i think um understanding the nature of origin and what gibbs means by that is is fundamental to understanding what he means by the integral because they are deeply related and it, there is a sense in which the integral is merely the coming to consciousness of origin, right? Uh, but also talking of the ever-present means we need to talk about time. And so this idea of evolution of consciousness, for instance, that it develops over time from an earlier stage to, a, to where we are now and maybe, maybe into the integral. This is a, a linear and hence it's a, it's a mental rational structure of time and so to you know that's one way of understanding the development of consciousness but it's not you know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily represent the whole so gebs's idea of time or time freedom the acronon was was pivotal to this idea of origin because origin is is not really in time You know, it is the it is the root or source or the non-dual uh, origin of all different forms of time, and those forms include mental rational time. You know, the, the chronology, the, the time of the clock and the calendar that we know day to day, but also mythic time. You know, which is more archetypal, and deeper than that, there's magical time, which is rooted in, in the the vital rhythms of the body, the pulse. You know, and uh, This, this more this interwovenness with with nature and the cosmos that is not differentiated into night and day or other forms of being aware of time. So, right. all of these forms of time are kind of just partial expressions of origin, and this origin is ever present. So, um, so the Gebs is whole approach to time is, is fundamental to understanding what he really means by origin because origin is not a beginning point you know it's not it's not a point in time all right so what is it, <laughs> it well it, it is the it is the ever-present ambience out of which all things crystallize and i liken it to 
you know, uh, a saturated solution, which crystallizes into, into salt. Mm-hmm. Right, so you, you have this ambient, this super saturated, uh, amorphous medium, uh, which then out of which things come into being. Yep. And, and those things are the structures of consciousness, structures of time, structures of space through which we grasp reality. And so, so in that, it's this ambience, which is, yeah, it's, it's, it's before the crystallization into salt. Yes. But it's also, it's also present. It, it doesn't disappear once the new thing comes into being, you know, it's, right. it's, it's there. It was right. there before it's there during it, it. It just is. It is the fundamental ground of reality from which all structures of reality that we know come into being right okay a really good way um a really good way i've come to think about it recently is kind of like the structures of consciousness are like a haiku and you know the haiku at least as we we write them in in the west are three lines right you have a, a, a three-line poem in, in its tr- traditional Japanese form, usually describes nature in some way, a season, you know, and maybe a specific detail that kind of grounds you in the, the reality. But in, so it's like origin is that natural reality itself. And the structures of consciousness are the, the you know, three lines that ex- each explain they, they, they express and convey this, this reality that sits behind it right. that is ever present. And so each line of the haiku that, that is presented in order in a certain, you know, it's, it, it's, it is written in a linear order as one, two, three. But you need all three lines to convey the whole of nature that under, underlies the, the haiku, you know, what the haiku is trying to, express right so that's that's one way i've been thinking about gabs's structures of consciousness so you you mean something in the term in the sense that through through the haiku through this performative act you can access or experience uh the underlying reality of things or what you mean in a way yeah it's and and it's like the other thing for gabs is that the structures of consciousness instead of being a, a linear development, uh, are an ever-present, they are ever-present parts of the whole. And they all need to be present for the integral or the whole to be present. Right. So it's, not, it's not a ladder that you climb. You don't climb on one step, take the second step and the third. And when you're at the top, you're like, I'm integral, I'm, I'm integral now. It's more... Um, they are all part of the whole. They don't go away. The whole is only there when we when we integrate all of the all of the parts. Right. And this, I think, this becomes very apparent in Gebser when he links the structures of consciousness to uh, seats of consciousness in the body, and it's it's almost like a it's a little bit like you know a chakra system because the 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 magical consciousness is is seated in the lower viscera 
in, in the belly. You know, the, the mystic consciousness is seated in the heart, the mental rational in the head, right? But we don't sacrifice other, our, our centers of consciousness, even though largely as a culture we're centered in, in, in the head and the mental rational awareness, we don't give up our, our gut. We don't give up our heart, you know. These, these are as vital to our whole existence as, as the head is. Right. So, um, and to be whole, you need to integrate those, at least those three parts. And this is very, very similar to what Gurdjieff would talk about. I'm not sure if you're familiar with sure. Gurdjieff. The, the, the idea of the fourth way of being, um, and it typically as beings, we are centered in either uh, the gut, the heart, or the head. And we usually have a leaning, you know, uh, one we're strong in. Maybe we're, we have one that we're, that we're okay in. And then we're, there's, there's a third one that we're underdeveloped in. Mm. And his whole path of initiation was like, no, you have to cultivate all three to, to their fullness, to be, a, to be a complete individual or a complete, a complete being. And uh, so what he would do with his students is if, if they're very, if they're very cerebral, he would make them do hard labor <laughs> or, or very physical work, you know, or if they're very, if they're very, if they're very physical kind of people, he would maybe get them to do dance and music, more emotionally centered work, you know, just to round out the wholeness of being uh, because the integral is only present when all of its parts um, grow together. And that's when Gebser used the term um, concretion, which the root of that word means, you know, to grow together. Um, they, they come into a, they grow together into a, a concrete whole that is, um, that is also organic. Right. What I find super interesting in all of this is that, I mean, all of the idea of developmental stages, the stages of development, you know, you can trace them back to biblical ideas, you know, Jacob's letter and the purification of moral and being to, you know, the get into the realm of God. And you, you talk about Gurdjieff and, you know, the way we have to go, which is also implies a kind of sequence or letter that we can do or integrate. And so, I, because I'm, I'm always wondering, it's like, how much, how much do we actually have overcome religion? Or what does religion mean today? Because if you look at Wilbur, for contrast, he, he you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily religious what he does, at least not with this integral model, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but then again, it is, you know? And so yeah. what, what does the question that, that's for me so interesting at the moment and maybe maybe you can talk about this like what what does spirituality and religion mean today i, I because you know again we tend to see <clears throat> you know we're living in a secular world and we have overcome religion right god is dead but it is not the case we are embedded in religion and spirituality in a kind of sense and how what would your view or Gebser's view on that? What is a contemporary 
approach to to all of this right well you know gebsa was very um clear that the integral was spiritual uh he used the term geist which you know as you know is has a little bit wider connotation than just spiritual but um he was very clear that that is you know the the integral structure was a spiritual structure as distinguished from a religious structure which he con he connected more with the mythic consciousness uh and i think maybe the best way to explain it is in terms of gabs's own experience of integral consciousness and when he had his own experience of that he he compared it to uh, more like a satori experience and he was traveling in asia at the time and he uh he met up with suzuki the the zen uh scholar yes and he explained this experience that he had and suzuki said um this is not samadhi this is satori All right and and uh what he meant by that or what what they seem to be getting at is this gebza was against this idea of well not against but he's he distinguished between a mythic consciousness uh a mythic religious experience or mythic spiritual experience where you're kind of swept away intoxicated you you um have an out-of-body experience you go to another world you know what i mean this this very sweeping intoxicating kind of religious uh religious experience whereas what and it, it, he associated that with samadhi and satori or, or the the other kind of ex experience he had which he considered more integral uh he 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 described it as very sober very grounded you know you're uh everything's very clear you, you're not swept away into another world you're you're here and now but everything is has this transparent sober lucidity you you just experience the nature of reality as it is uh and it's it's a different kind of experience uh but the fullness of you know reality and all its structures of of consciousness become become transparent and become clear and so yeah he he had this experience to describe it to suzuki and yeah suzuki famously said that is not samadhi that is satori so it is a bit more um it doesn't have these sort of uh doesn't have quite the mythical religious overtones that um other kinds of religious experiences can have right but it, you know the more i read gabza the more i'm convinced that the integral experience a deep experience of origin or, or integral consciousness is is actually more akin to a true mystical experience and um you know it's it's a, it's a experience of the and and I would I would qualify that and say that a true mystical experience is um I mean we tend to think of it in terms of 
you know, an experience of God. But that's simply just a, a way of saying it's an experience of reality in its deepest essence. You know, it's 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 a it's an experience of the true nature of reality. So we see through our illusionary constructs that are created by the ego and and other parts of our being, and we see the true nature of reality as it is, and and and, it, and its wholeness as well. And you know that that was you know and it becomes this thing that traditionally we've called god but maybe that's an inadequate term now because you know god has so many so many problematic um associations you know it's not perhaps the best word to use um for for people of our time right but um, I, I was I was <clears throat> pointing at something else. I was asking myself, maybe you can answer this. Um, you know, because we we were talking about origin, you know, and akronon, that is, you know, being mm. free of time and you know, origin as the source of everything that is, and you know, the the haiku and the structures of consciousness as that haiku. But you know, there's a discipline in there, you know, how to approach how how to get that to that kind of um, right um uh to that kind of state and that that is in itself you know although it might be satori the act to to get into the trance to believe that in the first place you know to open yourself up to the possibility of of satori You know what I mean? It's a discipline. Yeah. It's it's and it's well, quite and it's quite an old discipline. That's what I'm hinting at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's a sense where, yeah, if people have been cultivating the spiritual state for thousands of years. It's not sort of you, you can't argue that it's a new emergence, right? But um, but also I think what you're getting at is that there is yeah a discipline or a way to this state, and certainly in the Zen traditions. Um, they have two attitudes to it. They say, yes, there is a, a path or a discipline that you can follow. But also they say it, it, you can't do it yourself. Like you can't just go, I'm going to become enlightened and follow right. these things. You know, so there's a certain degree where it becomes accidental or not. it's not the result of willed action or discipline. Um, so they have what they call spontaneous enlightenment, where it just happens. And this is, you know, we have plenty of historical examples where not even religious people, but just but often monks, but various people throughout history have had a profound um, experience of the, the nature of reality. Like Jakob Burma, you know, in a, seeing in a pewter vessel, he had this whole revelation of the divine nature of reality. It just came spontaneously. Um, so this thing happens, but there's also... Can I can I interject? Practice. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, but um, you know of certainly of the Pareto principle, right? You know the of, of the... Pareto principle. You know that you know 95 of all Spotify songs get listened to like zero percent, and the top two percent or whatever you know of songs right. get listened all the time, and so that's like okay. a law of nature, let's say. And so I, I was wondering. If you know the actual amount of people 
where grace happens and enlightenment descends upon you as a gift or whatever. It's, it's similar to that, you know, to being a lottery winner, basically. Right. It basically doesn't happen, except for a few exceptions, right? And yeah. I, I, you know, I, I wonder what you think about that, because, you know, of course we can lay the groundwork with our disciplines or actions or, you know, but the actual grace that will happen, you know, then, you know, that I think, you know, what, what called young, the, the young aspect of will, you know, when that happens, mm. when the unfolding happens, when the grace happens, That is a rare occasion. And if that, when that is so, and that is the, the second part of the question, if that's actually the case, that why, why do we as a society do it then? You know, why, you know what I mean? When it's, when it's such a rare occasion, mm. why do we put all these people, Burma and Jesus and Buddha, so high on our pyramid of values that we strive collectively like millions of millions of Buddhists and Christian praying and meditating and people doing yoga and hippies and whatnot. While mm. it's clear the majority, like 99% of them will never experience any form of enlightenment. Mm. Well, I think we, we value that or put it, we, we place it on a, a pedestal as it were because these are people that have had the experience right and it's you know even even in in biblical tradition the prophets are the ones that had the experience the direct experience of god you know and everyone and most religion is just belief like oh i believe your experience and even today like you know you talked about god is dead and like today It's the same science as our God. We, we just have different gods. People believe the experiments, of, but they don't, they don't necessarily reproduce them themselves, right? But they have faith that there is rigor and authenticity behind that. The same with prophets and religious um, figures. They, they are people who had the experience, the direct You know, this is gnosis. This is the idea of gnosis, direct, direct knowledge of, of the divine nature of reality. Right. And so people have that experience and come back and, and say, this is how it is. And that's usually how um, theology starts when people start talking about the, the gnosis that someone, someone had. So I think, you know, we sense that that is actually possible. You can have that direct experience or that direct gnosis. And most people would want that rather than, um, you know, most people would, would want the direct experience rather than the secondhand explanation. Um, so I think, you know, we do value that. But like you said, it's something that seems to happen spontaneously by grace. But the one thing with the in the Zen tradition, at least, um, they talk about how it's kind of accidental. It happens by accident or grace, but you can't make it happen by discipline. But what the discipline, you know, if, if, if enlightenment is an accident, the discipline that you undertake is, um, it makes you accident prone. Right. Right. So, so you can do things to make, to make yourself more prone to, 
um, the accident of grace or enlightenment. It I doesn't mean, necessarily it's, it's, guarantee it, but you know, but it's 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 tr- it's leaning into something that you're you're opening yourself up rather than you're opening you're opening yourself up to receive something rather than actively sort of pushing forward and doing something with your own will. You know what I mean? There's a yeah, different sure. different attitude. And I did touch on that in the article for a chronon where I'm talking about, as you said before, the yin and the yang will. There's a, a will that that we have that you know is is free will as we know it. It's our individual de- individual decisions and choices, and it's what we do. But there's another side that is like what we don't do, things that happen to us or things that unfold through us or around us that shape who we are just as much as our own decisions and actions. And um, there's this whole other thread to our being that is unconscious that we only really see in hindsight when we look back over 10 years and see that we wouldn't be who we are today or where we are today if these things that I didn't choose didn't happen. So mm. um, there's this receptivity. You know, you have to be, um, you have to kind of put the ego consciousness and the free will aside and to have a receptacle that can receive uh, this other form of consciousness. Right. I mean, that's what what Gedza gets at when he's talking about the integral, he's talking about it being uh, ich frei, you know, uh, ego free, uh, zeit frei, uh, you know, time free, and so on. It's free from the the things that we normally identify with it, it's non-dual it's ego-free it's free of time it's free of linear consciousness so it's it's like it's it's and he uses the term the term acron on itself right is formed from the alpha privativum the, a, the greek a the greek alpha which instead of negating the word chronon or chronos it um signifies freedom from so it's freedom from time rather than um, a negation of time. So there's a sense of like freeing or liberating something uh, rather than negating it. And he's, he uses this idea a lot. You know, he talks about the a perspectival, you know, freedom from perspectival ways of thinking. Right. You know, fixed, fixed spatial um, experience of reality and um, but there's a sense where you know I think about this all the time in terms of um, Michelangelo and his statue okay there's a block of stone all he's doing is just taking away he's just taking away the rubble the, the, the external rock and the, the statue is perfect inside uh, he says he's not creating the statue he's just he's just liberating it from its from the rock that is enclosing it and that to me you know that this is very much the idea of buddha nature that you get in um uh mahayana buddhism uh in in tibetan tantric buddhism and zogchen that buddha nature is not something you attain it already is it, it already it's ever present it's originary uh and it's eternal and we don't we don't create it or attain it. It just we just remove what is stopping us from experiencing it. 
So your and magazine, uh, yeah. Acronon magazine, the new one that you just published, that was already there and you just <laughs> let it there. In a way, yes and no. You know? <laughs> no I mean, but was that a... the reason why you called it like this? I mean, it's like, of course, you chose a name like Acronon, you know, because of all that, what, what is philosophically attached. But did you approach the project or that, that thing, that magazine, also in that manner as something like as a perfect thing within the stone that had just to let to be bare? In a way, we did. Because yeah, we, we came to it with our own ideas and things that we wanted to do. But there was this process that was beyond our own choosing that, you know, and we, I think we became aware, Cordula and I, and also Michael and Sam and some other people that we were working with, uh, also yourself at some point, um, realized that there's something beyond the people involved in, in bringing it into being that is, that is present. And, you know, the name, I mean, it's, we had a sense of what we wanted it to be, but we didn't really have a name. And so I, I came up with the name Acronon, which is a, a term in Gebze, uh, which means time freedom or Zeitfreiheit. Um, I, we wanted to call it Weltinnenraum, which is oh, a, mm. a, a Rilkean term, but it's already been used and, you know, but um, when we had the, Just when I put forth the name Acronon, just it was like that that seed of salt in in the saline solution right. that just crystallized the whole thing into being. So mm. it, was, it felt like it was there, ambient in the in the liquid, and we just needed that one point to kind of anchor it and you know magnetize it. Have you seen? I'm sorry to uh, diverge a little bit, but have you seen the new Beatles documentary? No, no. I, I watched a an interview with Peter Jackson about so there's, it. There's a moment uh, I want you know where Paul McCartney just sits on a chair and just playing some riffs, something on the guitar, you know, and suddenly, and 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 Ringo and and George Harrison just sitting there basically. And but they have to make 14 new songs in 14 days or something like that. That was the pressure they're having. And so McCartney was just sitting there and you know, scrumming his, his guitar, and suddenly he found a riff. One, you know, and suddenly you see the backbone uh, of get back of that song. Mm. And he basically created that backbone, you know, condensed within 90 seconds. And that is such an amazing thing to see how this thing came into being because it's not just any song, right? It's like it's so yeah. interwoven in our Western cultural catalog of right. music that you have to think, well, had, had it to be divulged, had it to be, you know, manifested or emerged at that moment? Like, what was it? presupposed you know was it or what is the word like did it have to happen and yeah pre that, predetermined that, yeah pre so and it, it's so fascinating to see you know and that's what what makes you know these moments um makes it so great because you you because you, where does it come from you know mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, the, I think certainly with the creative process, I think there's a sense where we're, we are participating in bringing something into being that is deeper than us, you know? And we'd, we'd usually take credit for it ourselves because our egos get involved, but like, and of course we are instruments for it, but I think, um, you know, sometimes we have to acknowledge that there's something else mysterious that is, that is working with and through our own process, you know? And I think good art, uh, good artists, um, uh, they're much, they're more, maybe they're more unconsciously familiar with this, you know, than, than other people. But, but are um, you saying that you need to go more from the yin aspect of will to more to the yang aspect of will, you know, to open yourself up to the possibility and to, to experience yeah. these kinds of stages of consciousness? I think so, certainly for us, because our whole, our entire culture now is extremely yang oriented, you know, and it's very mental, rational, very yang. We're very much about I, me, I am doing this. This is, this is my action. This is my deed. This is right. my will. Um, the, and we've, in the, the, we have um, lost our connection to the other half which is the more yin side of things. And this applies on all sorts of levels, but certainly in terms of will, like there's a sense of like, because to, to accept the yin will, it means to, we have to let go of our yang will to some degree. Not, not absolutely, at least just temporarily, at least to let something else um, become a receptacle, you know? And um, it gets really interesting because, uh, It, they are kind of like they are two parts of the, the same whole, but they um, it's almost like when you're in one, you, you, you're, complete, you're completely unaware of the other. Like if you're in the, in, in the, the yang free will mode, that almost cancels out the, the yin, the predestination aspect of consciousness. And if you're in the predestination consciousness, then it kind of cancels out the, the free will. Um, but they are two halves of one whole. Um, after I wrote that article, I, I was reading Jung's Red Book. And he, he talks about a vision where I, he, um, he's talking about He sees it in terms of like, I think Elijah and Salome and uh, they are both together. He said, they've always been together. And he says, um, the prophet is foresight. But, but he said, Salome was blind and she's like, she's feeling uh, and desire, right? Um, and and I, I realize he's saying kind of the same thing. You've got the sense of foresight prophecy, you know, the ability to see knowledge of the future, gnosis of the future. Um, but, but the prophet can't act. He can see the entire future, but he cannot act. Whereas Salome is the uh, desire, the feeling and the sensing. And she can act, but she's blind. She can't see. Mm. Um, so they, and they're both, they're, they're both, the two halves of the whole 
and for and this you know you can see Jung what he talked about with his uh, functions like the feeling function you know and the feeling and sensing functions versus the um, the knowing function uh, but you're going to see the roots of this in in these visions from the red book but um, I was particularly struck by that yeah the connection between foresight prophetic gnosis the ability to see the whole of time but not being able to being able to act right and then there's the, the sensing feeling desirous free will that can act but can't can't even doesn't even have any vision of the whole right and um i mean this is also what you're saying like western esotericism you know and the idea i mean like will itself has a special place there then you have more the rational or say egoical forms of will you know mm. and you know and then you have more the transrational trans-egoical mm. form of of will where you have to sacrifice yourself in order to receive or to be the vessel in order to bring it into the world as acting again and then you have they're like this interplay because as soon as you are into the world you need the rationalistic and egoic or you know, oh yeah you know but you know to have the vision uh you know you need to let go you need to go into the let's say trans transpersonal realm to to you know to see you know yeah um and you know you need we need i mean the mental rational is part of the whole right right and so is the ego it's like that you know but we've just overemphasized them to the point where we don't even work with the other parts of the whole anymore right so so we need to kind of at least de-emphasize the mental rational and the ego in order to let the other things um to let them grow again. I mean, uh, yeah, and, and so. I mean, to, to go back to this, I think we, we have such a intuitive understanding of that, that, that if somebody comes around who is able to encompass both and to play with it, we instantly recognize that, you know, and yeah. they, they don't have to be like explicit, explicitly like spiritual figures, but I was just talking, you know, with a friend, let's say about Timothy Leary, you know, who like you, people who, you know, are shamans in, in the true sense who can see, you know, far, far away in the future and, and you know, go, go back and share that with the tribe and, and steer the course of the tribe. And that was what, what Leary was doing in the kind of sense. He was yeah. popularizing the you know, developmental theory, you know, before anybody else you know and he yeah, had like yeah, some very... weird terms for that you know but he still was able to do that yeah and i think you know the, this idea of developmental structures again like ego and like um you know mental rational consciousness they are parts of the whole but they're not the whole whole so really the, the developmental approach looking at consciousness in terms of stages over time right is, is that's just that's the mental rational perspective on the whole right and it's 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 one perspective and it's partial but it is it is relatively true but it's just not absolutely true and so when we we have to to get a sense a more rounded sense of the whole we have to integrate you know the mythic understanding of how consciousness unfolds 
on the magical understanding and also the, the like you said the transrational or the the integral um ways of perceiving and uh so yeah that's you know and time i mean gebs are focused on time because when you're talking about anything unfolding when you're talking about evolution when you're talking about development um you, you're kind of dealing with time you know so he's trying to get around this idea of a well, he's just trying to say that this linear time that we're where that we proceed in is um really just one partial aspect of the whole and um it has a validity in the same way that mental rational consciousness as, as a whole has validity but it is um you know it's one-sided at best right and another way i think about this i mean i do a lot of work with gebs but i did a lot of my phd work on rene schwaler de lubitsch who is a, a french uh occultist and philosopher hermetic philosopher and he dealt with a lot with consciousness and evolution and uh he approached it in a very pythagorean way and and in pythagorean metaphysics you get this progression from the point to the line to the triangle or the first surface to the volume and uh these these are kind of and gebs talks about this in terms of dimensions you know from one dimension to two to three to four uh and what schwala says is that because he was very pythagorean but he said these things the the the, the point the line the the triangle the volume or the surface and the volume are these are all just abstractions of a pre-existing whole so if you take a whole whether it's a, a if you take the whole volume you know you you can find a point on it you can find a line on it you can find a surface on it um but those things uh you're just you're just highlighting you know aspects of a pre-existing whole so um and and it seems like you know and you can you can you can articulate them as if they are unfolding uh you know in a linear or developmental way but the whole is just it just is yes that's that was exactly the question yeah. are you still there and one one way i like to think about it are you still there yeah 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 i'm Go sorry on. you you were just gone for a second because i you know i wanted just to mention that that was a question i had in my mind because i think both ways attribute to the whole you know it's like yeah. you know you you one side you have you know this wilberian developmental stages approach to things and that's certainly part of of the thing but then you have you know the the ever present origin and and you know which is the other side and they i think they belong together it's like in in i think we're like stuck in an in an eternal in between of everything because of course we're just experiencing the now you can't experience the past or you know the yeah. the future but and even if you're moving you're always in between 
but you know historically speaking then then you can attribute you know the follies of your youth or the fear of getting old or whatever you know it's um don't you agree that those two sides in effect belong together like let's say gebser gebser's worldview and wilbur's worldview that they somehow um fulfill each other i think in a way i think i mean <clears throat> they're all attempts to grasp the whole you know and it's it's not unlike blind that the metaphor of blind men uh feeling the elephant right and they they grab different parts and they say they say this is what this is what it is and the other one saying no this is what it is you know there's a there's a level to which we're all doing that uh we're just blind men grouping the elephant and trying to you know think trying to tell the other person that we that our grasp of the of, of the thing is right is the real thing uh but yeah but in a sense we are yeah we all are we are we are trying to get a handle on that that thing mm. um but you know i think you know i don't i mean wilbur and gebser's thinking i mean because wilbur was so influenced by gebser you know it's it's i think it's misleading to say that they're opposed in some way you know right um so there's more there's more in harmony with them than there is in divergence with them but i think you just get a different sense with gebser right. um i wouldn't say they're complementary per se but uh you know you get it's just there's a depth that you get with gebser that um that is i find personally is lacking in wilbur sure uh, but um you know i think wilbur's a great entry point you know just for the integral idea and you know and from there you, you can go i mean i meant, i'm sorry i meant complementary in the sense that yin will and yang will are complementary we just talked about this that you can't have the one without the other and wilbur is right. all you know doing and striving and going and you know have this yeah. thing whereas you know the other thing is more like okay i'm i'm just here i'm just trying to bring it all together and so yeah, in, in that uh, sense i mean like complementary in those in that in that sense yeah uh, i mean certainly and gebser would talk about orfetrauen primordial trust right what's As that uh, it's a sense of what's well, like it's like leaping into the abyss and knowing something will catch you um it's and it's um for gebser primordial trust was was the way that we could uh embrace origin because and gebser plays on this because ursprung ursprung means the primordial leap literally and there's a sense in which we are taking leaps of um primordial trust into this great uh unknown and trusting that it will catch us right and and he talks about 
when he talks about primordial trust, he talks about he talks about it as a haltong, like a, a, an attitude or a, a way we hold ourselves physically and mentally. But also a gehalten werden. It's a, it's a being held, you know. So it's got it's got a it's got an aspect that we do, like we take to sleep. But we also there's an aspect that, that it's like it's going to hold or catch us. So um, it's got it's got those two halves to it, and we have to trust that the other half is going to catch us. Right. I mean, Terence McKenna once once talked about you know, leaping into the abyss and realizing it's a feather bed, right? And it's it's and Gabs had kind of the same experience. He literally had the, this experience when he was. 14 or something and he was he had this fear of drowning since he nearly drowned in the bathtub when he was very young we always had this fear of drowning and uh when he was around the age of 14 he was being he had to they had to learn to swim at his school and they had to they basically just leaped into a river and were expected to swim free and he had this fear he, he, he thought he was going to die He's, you know he had been forced to leap into this river so he just closed his eyes, leaped in, and came to the surface very surprised that he was alive. And that was kind of a crucial moment where he let go of his fear. Uh, it's a bit, you know, fear of death, you know. Right. And there's a sense of letting, letting go. I mean, primordial trust is really about, you know, can we let go of our fears, our, our primordial, primordial fears, you know, that... Uh, and ultimately, their existential fears, like fear of death, because once we, once we let go of the fear of death, um, then we open up into genuine experience of reality. I mean, even this is this is true. Going back to Socrates, you know, right. the trial of Socrates, he he wasn't scared that he was going to be put to death. He he embraced and welcomed it because he he had primordial trust in the immortality of the soul. You know, uh, and Gebser talks about how once you overcome the fear of death, um, you are free. And part of that is related to uh, there's, there's there's a lot that comes from that because you know the whole idea of death is like the integral idea of death is that the dead are still present, right? The dead are not just like gone but the life and death are are a, a yin and a yang themselves they are two parts of a whole and so on one hand you recognize in 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 death and the dead as uh, just a, a, as much a part of the whole as the living and we only have to look at the plant kingdom to see that you know plants grow out of the dead hummus of of their of their ancestors mm. and but Gebza came to this through Rilke you know he, he was exploring Rilke and Rilke's talking about this realm where you know he, he could stand with one foot in life and one foot in death yeah and be in both you know the realm of the living and the realm of the dead at the same time I, let me just um, stop you there because one thing that always is super interesting to me is how you know different where and how different let's say spiritual or philosophical approaches that claim to be something like post-postmodern or integral like how they converge right 
like what is the, the, the core element like why is it post postmodern or integral you know what what is the common denominator between metamodernism and performatism and Wilbur and so on and so forth and you know you one thing that reminds me of what you were talking about is you know from from this performatism from this uh, school of thinking where we are aware you know that something like truth and beauty it's all deconstructed with postmodernity right so how do we navigate ourselves after the deconstruction of those values and so his answer Raoul Eshelman's answer is we pretend that it's true although we know it's de deconstructed and by this leap of faith let's say we make it true right and so you have this trust you know this trust that you bring something because like when you have an initial impulse right and there's no certainty that it will manifest it will find you know its way into the world mm. but only by trusting it will otherwise it dies right and so i think that's you know a beautiful picture what you're describing you know with this basic trust because mm. we we have to do this leap in order to you know um bring it all together mm. yeah uh, i think it you know i think that's the idea that changed me the most out of out of everything i've read in gebza uh is this idea of it's not a it's not a it's not a mental rational it's not a it's not even really to do with consciousness you know or structures of consciousness. It's not really to do with the development of anything. It's this primordial leap that we all have to take at some point. Um, it requires giving our all. It, it's, it requires letting go of everything that we cling to through fear, you know? And- um, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm saying this because I want to you know, make it somewhat palpable for, for the listeners, because, you know, we are, we are just pretending right now, you and me, if this is not the most extraordinary thing that could happen. I mean, like our conversation, not because you're special or I'm special, but because it's so unlikely that a guy from Spain and a guy from Auckland, you know, that they decide to have a conversation without basically knowing each other and doing this leap of faith and by that leap of faith condensing all that weird stuff we are, we are what we're talking about this is so right. unlikely that that happens right right yeah and i think you know i think the other part of the, the primordial leap uh is that we let go of control right yeah and because you know everything we do with our free will is, is a desire to control or to make things to make our life go the way that we want right we want and so we have we exert a certain amount of control and of course that's natural to a large degree and practical but i think and that this i think this points at a, a difference between gebser and wilbur because wilbur is like you know it's a sense of like i you know we've we've mastered the whole picture of consciousness in its development we've got this map that explains everything it's all under control and with gabsy you get this this thing it's like well there's a sleep that says you have to let all control go right unless you let go of that control you don't really experience origin you don't experience the orshpurung the primordial leap right 
you know, and because the only way origin is becomes present is by when we make that primordial leap ourselves. It's not just an idea. It's not just something you read in Gebs or Old World or whoever. It's like we have to enact it. And it's, and it's paradoxically, it's an act that um, goes against our own control and will. And this is what the Chinese called Wu Wei, you know, right. action in non-action. You know, and Gebser talks, he references that, and he talks about um, some of the Gnostic Gospels, how they talk about you know, it's, it's rest and movement. You know, it's, it's, it's doing and not doing. And as I said before, it's this Haltung and Gehalten werden. You know, it's, it's, it's an attitude of how we hold ourselves, but also how we are held and captured. So it's, um, you know, I think, yeah, those, those aspects are really important. But the most important is how do we participate in origin? It's through the problem. Right, it's because the, the strange thing is, although Wilbur claims to have a theory about consciousness and all, he doesn't, you know, um, by no means you are able to experience what consciousness is or get any closer to an, you know, to an understanding of what consciousness is. Like there's no, you know, it doesn't explain that or doesn't make that his model doesn't make it possible to, you know, to really understand what it is, what is consciousness. Right. You know? right. So it's, it's like you, but you have to open yourself up to the experience, to, to the opacity of it to the strangeness mm -hmm. of the experience of it. And yeah, very much. And, and this is why, you know, I've studied the es esoteric traditions and the occult traditions and the mystical traditions. I mean, these to me, uh, I mean, and I'm, I'm interested in those because they are, here we have a history of people who, who have had the experience, who have had the gnosis, who have had, prophetic knowledge or, or whatever you want to call it um you know these are people that are uh, have leaped into that river and and drunk of that water and you know uh and maybe they've, they've we can learn something about how to get there ourselves you know i think because otherwise it's pointless it's 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 pointless being able to explain with a great sophisticated map what consciousness is if we don't really have the core experience of origin or the non-duality right. or or you know Taria or whatever you want to call it um, right and how that how that breathes through the magical the mythic the mental rational and, and so on the structures of consciousness as we know them you know how does that ambience how how do we find it how, you know it's, it's the lifeblood that that circulates through all of the things on our map right i think um, people now get a pretty good understanding of uh, what acronym is about okay <laughs> yeah we, we, we probably should um mention the magazine itself right i mean yeah, we, of I course think no that's the it, reason why you know um, that's, that's... So you just published a new magazine yeah so... it's like the first edition and it's called acronym and you, you wrote a piece in there. Mm -hmm. um, will, will the, what, what's, you know, what's, what's the, you know, gestalt uh, of the future of the magazine that wants to be revealed? Well, yeah, at the moment it's a magazine, but we would ultimately like for it to become a yearbook. Right. Have an annual print publication 
which is drawn from the the e magazine or the um, you know the the magazine form. So we we our moving forward, we would like to do more magazine issues, of course, like like our first one, and then at least once a, well once a year do a yard book, a, a print publication. So, um, but really, um, you know, we. We brought this into being and it, and it had a sense of primordial trust about it. We, we, we knew certain things that we were doing with it, but other things that were beyond our control came into it. And I think everyone involved is very open to it. We've, we've seen that and we're very open to that process and, and having the receptacle or space for what wants to come into being to, to be able to come into being through it. And so um, we, so the, the first issue is uh has the theme of planetary consciousness and so we would probably have themes for each issue and we at this point we haven't really decided on what the the shape of the next issue right. would look like but we will have uh probably a a a theme um and you know it could be something like the stuff we've talked about today um, you know, I think one of the important things for me, at least, is the the lived embodiment of of integral consciousness. Right. Like it's good, it's fine to talk about it, but how do we how do we leap into that river? And I would like to make that a theme at some point. Mm-hmm. When some years ago. Uh, Maybe eight years ago, I hosted a Gebser conference in Los Angeles, and we had the theme. Uh, I set the theme of that conference as embodying integral consciousness for the same reason, because I, I feel there's so much talk about, uh, you know, so much mental cerebral theorizing that we forget how to embody it as a whole being. So I think at some point I would like to see that emerge nice mm-hmm. yeah uh but okay but yeah, it's planned just, as, a, as a quarterly magazine or, or well, like what, what i think because it's a chrono because it's time free i think we have the uh flexibility to not be bound to time per se <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I like that um i'm not really a very time bound person right uh i like having flexibility and freedom within time. So it will, yeah, we will, we will give it that freedom to emerge when it, when it wants, but we will do, um, yeah, at at least probably at least two issues a year, um, depending, but, but Cordula, uh, you know, the the editor and, and my colleague who really kind of was the spearhead of this whole journal, um, she'll be interacting with most of the authors, right. especially certainly the German speaking or writing authors. Uh, so it's a bilingual magazine at this point. So I think at this point, yeah. It, so because it's, it's, there are some English articles there and some German articles, no? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's largely German, but we have a couple of English pieces. So I think we have a, a piece by... Jeremy Lent and Sophie Strand in English. Um, pardon me. 
I wrote my own piece. I wrote my own piece in English, but I translated it into German because um, I figured the audience was mainly German. Mm. Um, so, and also I needed to define what a Corona was to, to the German audience, you know? Right. Well, I will um, post a link um, on the, to the magazine with this podcast so that people can find it. I've read yeah, it. It's, I, a, it's a great magazine. And we should mention that it's, it's free. Yeah. It's you, all you have to do is sign up to our newsletter and you get the link to download it. Perfect. So yeah. Um, yeah. Post the link and uh, keep in touch. All right, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining your first coffee of the day with me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That's my pleasure. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, let's keep in touch. Good luck with, uh, with the magazine. Yeah. And, and you're in, so you're in Spain, did you say? 